Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Jerry is following a woman through shadowy back streets in a sketchy area of Nairobi. She's nervous trying to stay in character as the woman asks suspicious questions. In London, Pete is waiting anxiously. The plan was all laid out, but things could still go awry. Jerry is only thinking of one thing. Will the baby be there? Will they be in time to save her? But the story doesn't begin here. I'm Maeve McLennigan, and we start, as always with the tip-off. My name is Peter Murimi. I'm a producer-director, and at the moment I'm talking to you from London. Pete is an experienced journalist and documentary producer. He's worked on all kinds of things, including programmes for Africa Eye, a BBC series that produces hard-hitting investigations from across the African continent. Pete is originally from Kenya, and he has lots of contacts there. So when it came to pitching story ideas to BBC editors, he had one investigation in mind. It had come to him from a Kenyan journalist he knew, called Judith. She told me that there's so many homeless mothers who are complaining that children are disappearing. They didn't know where these children are going, but the fact was people were snatching the children from them, especially when they were asleep. It was a shocking concept. Children of homeless mothers snatched away from them. By whom? Where were they going? It's estimated that about 60,000 children sleep on the streets of Nairobi at any one time. The idea that some of them were being stolen away was almost too awful to comprehend. Pete put the idea forward to editor of Africa Eye, Mark Perkins. His reaction was immediate. It's extraordinarily compelling because you're talking about the theft of children. But as a parent myself, you can't imagine anything worse. And that was an instinctive reaction to it, to say, let's dig into this. So Pete had the green light. He started to dig in, pulling together all the information he could. But he knew he needed a reporter on the ground, someone who would present the documentary. That's when he got Njeri on board. And Jerry Mwangi is a Kenyan journalist and TV presenter. She had heard stories about babies being stolen from the streets before, but she knew there were still many questions going unanswered. 
So when I met Pete earlier in 2020 and he told me that they were working on a story and he wanted me to be a part of it, I did not know the details of what this story would be like, but I was eager to see that we would be able to tell a story in a different way. So I accepted it immediately. The whole team knew this was going to be a difficult one. This was a frightening hypothesis that shadowy underground criminal networks were kidnapping and trafficking children. How do you possibly get close enough to see that happening? Where do you start? And then there was another complication. They had just begun filming. In January, February, we were filming, and then COVID happened, and we had to completely adjust how we work. Pete was in a bind. His family was in England, and he wasn't going to be able to travel back and forth like he usually would. I came back to the UK, and the majority of the filming happened remotely. So I was in the UK, and Jerry and the whole team was in Kenya. So we were on the phone, we made the plan before they got. The first stage was to link up with the reporters who had already been researching in this area. Judith Kanaya, a friend of Pete's, worked for Ghetto Radio. The reason she went to Pete was because she knew it's not possible from the local radio station to really dig deep into what the story was. Judith had previously interviewed women whose children had been kidnapped, and she was able to connect and Jerry with them. I think being a mother myself, you quickly connect and relate with what that might even be like. Judith would come with someone and then we would have a conversation. So she got access before I did, and I accompanied her, but then they got to talk to me. Because I could relate, I was able to ask very personal questions and connect to them at that level. Jerry sat with the women outside their homes, in Kaioli, a huge slum in Nairobi. Here's a clip from the BBC film. Most of the clinics in Kaioli, they do those business. They sell children. If you go to any clinic, just you say, like, I can't give birth, I need a baby. They are willing to sell you a baby. And it's a business that is booming. They're making a lot of money. Next, Jerry went to speak with women who were sleeping rough on the streets of the capital. Their children huddled in beside them. I thought I was prepared But I remember this particular one. It was a cold, chilly morning. And I met these three women in the street. And they tell me about how their children are taken. All three of them had lost their children. And they had no idea who had taken their children. One woman, Rebecca, told her the heartbreaking tale of how she woke one day to find her baby son gone. I lost my child on March 13th, 2011. I will never forget that date, she tells the camera. I woke up around two in the morning. My child was gone. She explained how she had searched every children's home in the city, but had never found him. I swear I would give anything to see him again, she says. Why would they steal my boy? Just because I'm homeless doesn't mean I'm a bad mother. On camera, Jerry breaks down in tears. So for me, standing in the cold and thinking about my own children that I had left warmly tucked in bed, And looking at these women with their children in the street, 
looking at boxes and cartons and all their ugly belongings in a small little bag really broke my heart. And the things that they say to me that it's okay for me to know that my child is dead than to think of my child somewhere out there. I don't know how they are, whether they are safe, whether they're warm, whether they're in pain. And I completely connected with that because I knew where my children were and thinking or imagining what that would be like to think of my own children in the way that they had to think about their children. That was very traumatizing. Back in London, Pete was shocked too. I'm a stepfather to two amazing daughters and it's something really difficult to know that a child can be sold as a commodity, like it's it's even unimaginable, really. The team pushed on. Judith from Ghetto Radio was able to track down a clinic in one of the city's slums, where a supposed nurse was helping women give birth and then selling their babies to paying customers. This clinic is operated by a woman known as Mary Auma. She claims to be a former nurse who has worked in some of Nairobi's biggest hospitals. Judith has convinced Mary that she's unable to conceive and is eager to buy a child. I went to her clinic and I found two women in the room. The women are in labour and are about to give birth. Judith has a hidden camera on. She sits in a small waiting area and spots glimpses of the labouring women as they pace around. Mary offers to sell Judith one of the babies, before they're even born. It's shocking footage, but it's just the start. More after this. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Keaton and Jerry are working with local reporters to investigate the shocking practice of baby theft in Kenya. They have already spoken to mothers whose children have been snatched, and they found a clinic where newly born babies are sold to the highest bidder. 
but now they have another lead. An informant has been in touch. This woman, who needs to remain anonymous, has managed to infiltrate a network of traffickers who target homeless women. She has won the trust of a trafficker called Anita, and after talking to the BBC team, she agrees to wear a hidden camera. Anita is a heavy drug user and has a history of violence. Sending in this woman undercover is not something the team takes lightly. Here's Mark, the Africa Eye editor again. Before we undertake any kind of actual undercover filming, there's an enormous BBC process that has to be gone through. Before we can even put a camera on, we have to do two big things. We have to, first of all, gather enough prima facie evidence, so evidence that there is wrongdoing that's happening. Some of our prima facie evidence has reached into 50,000 words before we can even pick up a camera. So there's an enormous amount of work that goes into gathering the evidence against specific individuals around specific wrongdoing. And so all that work has to be put together before you even pick up a, a secret camera. Also, there's an enormous amount of difficulty finding and making sure that the undercover operatives themselves are happy to do it, want to do it, and safe to do it, both in terms of actually filming you know, with criminal gangs, which is not, a, not an easy thing to do. It's actually it's very dangerous. Um, and on top of that, after the broadcast, how do we do our best to keep them safe? And so there are enormous issues in terms of you know, impartiality, in terms of confidentiality. All of these things have to be thought through really carefully from the beginning before any undercover filming is going to take place. With all that done, the informant heads out to meet Anita. First, she films her in a cafe, where Anita describes how she goes about snatching children. She says she's working for a local businesswoman, who takes the children and sells them for a huge profit. She explains how some children go to people who cannot have babies themselves. And then, horrifyingly, she says some are used as sacrifices. Anita has been doing this for three years, she says, and has taken more than ten children. Not long after, the informant goes to meet Anita again. But then everything changes. As she walks up to meet the trafficker, in a back alley, she spots her. A baby, around five months old, with plump cheeks and a runny nose. Anita has stolen her. It's a heart-stopping moment. Staying miraculously calm, the undercover informant explains she might know someone who would want to buy the baby. She's desperate to find a way to save her. And incredibly, Pete had planned for this moment. We had thought about this scenario. We'd already planned and factored it in. If she has a child, this is what you do. And then after that, they call us like there is a child. And then we're like, we have to call the police for the safety of the child. So it was factored in. And when we had that, we're like, okay, let's kick in this plan. So it wasn't a surprise because we knew this is what Anita does, what the stress was, will we be successful in saving the child? Pete knew they needed to act fast. Anita had agreed to meet the informant the next day. Now the BBC team needed to scramble. The first stage was finding someone to pose as a potential buyer. And it soon became clear who that would be. I did not imagine at any point that I would be needing to go undercover. So one of the undercover agents says that we have a baby and we can rescue this baby. So what we need to do is I need to take somebody to buy that child. And then Pete say that I should go. I was like, no, 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 I'm just a reporter. But I did not say it out loud. 
because I've never done something like this before. I thought I couldn't do this, but also I knew we needed to move fast because that child's being recovered depended on our swift action. And I knew I had a good team. I was ready to take whatever came, so long as we tried to get that baby out. So I said, yeah, just tell me what I need to do. And I needed to pause as a buyer for the baby that they said Anita was giving us, and then just go with the money. But this was not a game. This was a heinous crime in action. The team knew they had to get the police involved. We knew if we found that the child was at risk, we had no option, basically. Because at that point, we had to try and save the child. And the only way to do that is working with the police, because they are the law enforcers. So it was a possibility that we had thought about, and I don't think we had a choice. It was a path that we had to take because of the nature of this program. The biggest issue for us and biggest concern was that turnaround time of convincing the police and finding the right police uh, contact to talk to because also Kenyan police is a bit complicated. If you talk to the wrong person, you could end up actually endangering the life of the journalists working on the ground. So it was finding out the right contact person and then executing it. A police officer agreed to go undercover, posing as in Jerry's maid, so she could attend the meeting too. The next day, Jerry found herself walking through the back streets to find Anita. Her heart was pounding. This was it. She spotted her, but the baby wasn't there. Still, Jerry thought if she could convince the trafficker she was legitimate, maybe they could do the deal and still save the child. For me, being there, not knowing what could happen, because that's where people get mugged and all these kinds of things. So there was a sense of, can we not draw her out into a little bit more, maybe not crowded, but not deserted street like she had pulled us into? And a part of me wanted to just say, can we try this another day or can we, can we think of something else? So I was scared. I was initially very scared. But again, knowing what was at stake and knowing that I was not alone and there was cameras around me and that there were people in my ears that I could talk to that were watching me, I had eyes all around. It made me feel like, you know what, just go on with it. Gary was trying to act natural, but at the same time, she and others around her had all this equipment on, which can make it hard to concentrate. I didn't have a camera, but I had a mic. I was wired the whole time. I needed to get as close to Anita as I could so that we could hear what Anita was saying. Now that for me was like, how close is close? Can I hear her? Do I need to lean in towards her? I was mic but I knew there were cameras around me. The undercover agent had a camera. And of course, I couldn't tell and neither could Anita tell. I could also hear what the other people would say. I knew whether to keep going or to stay back. But I had to use a lot of my instinct because they are not where I am. And I need to make decisions as we go. So that requires a lot of alertness and, you know, presence. And that that was really critical at that point. But then, out of nowhere, a policeman appears. Just a guy on the beat, suspicious of what the group are doing and with no idea he was wandering into an undercover police operation. It could have ruined everything. I was like, why didn't anyone tell this guy that we're in the middle of a shoot? Oh, I hope he does not mess this up. And luckily, Anita just said, let's just walk towards this way and it's going to be okay. 
I felt like, oh my gosh, we are about to get busted. This is going to go down right now and it's going to just blow up in our faces. I tried to look behind me and around me to see whether now that we are moving, uh, do we still have eyes and ears? I was trying to see what I needed to anticipate. We moved into the street and the actress in me said, okay, cameras are rolling, let's keep going. But there's a point where I panicked. I was like, something is going to go down and it's not going to end well. Jerry kept her cool. She offered Anita the money she wanted and the trafficker told her to return the next day. But the next day came and she didn't show up. To this day, we don't know whether Anita had a sixth sense or whether she was tipped off. It's one of those things that um, it's very unfortunate that we never managed to save that child. They had gotten so close. And missing out on rescuing that baby girl still weighs on the whole team. Sometimes I play back in my mind and I think to myself, what could we have done differently? Because we could have just gotten that baby, but we just never did. And that's something that will always tug at my heart. But really, there's a part of me that hopes maybe if we distributed the photo widely and it was kept in our screens and circulated on phones, because we do that a lot here in Kenya, that maybe someone will spot that child and report that they've seen that missing child to the police and then we would rescue that child. The sight of this young baby sat with Anita is haunting to the viewer, never mind the journalists involved. They still don't know what happened to her. Often, in programmes like this, the faces of innocent young children might be blurred out to protect their identity. Mark, the editor, had a call to make. It was quite a difficult decision. Obviously, we spent a huge amount of time looking at safeguarding, as in how can we possibly safeguard the children that we're finding. And we worked very closely with a safeguarding person at the BBC who specialises in that. But also we worked quite closely with the police on that and with social services in Kenya. So as soon as we discovered children in danger or in, in imminent danger, we had to act as soon as possible and we handed over all our information to the authorities, which is what happened here, which is how the sting happened. So there's an enormous amount of time spent trying to make sure we can safeguard these people. And some kids appeared on our radar, but we had no specific information. We heard people, Anita, let's say, was looking for somebody or was looking for a child to steal or perhaps even stolen a child. But if you didn't have information, we couldn't hand that over. So you're in a very, very difficult gray area there where you're running an undercover operative who's gathering information, which we want to put into the public domain, want to show people. But at the same time, you have a lot of issues where children are, of course, in danger. And if there's a point that we can do something to, to try and help those, we will do our best. But we have to remember, we're not here to safeguard these children. We are here to expose wrongdoing. And the theft of children from these various criminal gangs had been going on for years and is still going on. But at the end of the day, our job is to be journalists to report this wrongdoing. There's some balance to be taken there between those two sort of positions. In terms of what happened with that baby, the decision to show their face came after consultation with the police. And a lot of internal discussions about whether putting their face up would help them or couldn't in any way hurt them. What we heard from the police and from other informal sources, NGOs, etc., is that at that point, now that um, they've been stolen, any publicity would help. But sadly, to our knowledge, we don't think that baby's ever been found. At this stage, the team have uncovered incredible things. Criminal traffickers snatching babies from the streets. Corrupt back-alley clinics selling babies out from pregnant mothers. Women desperately missing their lost babies. But they know there is more to do. 
rumours abound that this practice extends even inside the large official hospitals in the country. And the team have found a whistleblower, a man inside the Mama Lucy Hospital, who says that an official there, a guy called Fred, is selling babies from the maternity ward. During a quick internet search, there was a lot of local news reports about new parents complaining that the children were missing or something wrong that happened in the hospital and also some saying that you can buy a child from the hospital. And we started looking into this and this is one of testament for persistence. We kept on asking but we kept on hitting brick walls until we met this voluntary child protection officer who's like, I am completely disgusted by what's going on. I'm afraid to report it a few times and I've never met any person taking it seriously. So I'd happily work with you to expose what's going on. So the team know what they must do. Once again, they go undercover, sending in a female reporter to pose as a woman wanting to adopt a baby. Fred takes the bait. He says there's a baby boy in the hospital who's been abandoned and agrees to sell it to the BBC undercover reporter. They secretly film as the baby is taken from the ward, signed out by Fred, and walked unsuspectingly, to a car, where he's handed over to the undercover reporter. The team immediately take the baby to an orphanage, and then it's time to confront Fred over his crimes. It falls to reporter and Jerry to ambush him and put their findings to him on camera. We tried to get hold of Fred for days. We tried to call him, we tried to send him a text, but he just could not bite the bait. We were advised that he definitely walks in and out of the hospital. So we just need to catch him either coming in or going out. But I'd never met Fred before. I had only seen him on clips. And you see now with masks, it even makes it more complicated. The day that we actually caught him, we were told he was going to be out for lunch. So we waited, we missed him when he came out. Maybe he came out when we took a short break. And it had to be me that had to confront him. So I had to pause with someone so that I look like I'm waiting for someone from the hospital. We had to think up of answers if we were asked why we were just roving around, not getting into public transport. We needed to think about if I'm attached, which is um, public transport. If it comes, where does it stop? So should we maybe stand where it is so that we look like we're waiting for someone or we're waiting for a particular one to board? Then if we're using a motorbike, which we call border border, then where does it stop? Maybe we need to stand on that side. And then we just needed to be in your role. We had been waiting for so long. So I was looking down on my phone and everything happened almost in slow motion. I looked up and I see this guy coming and something within me says, that's him. And he was like six feet away. He approaches me and I said hi to him. And my cameraman, because he had his earphones, he hears me and he jumps out of the Uber and he starts rolling the camera and he almost fell in a ditch trying to come to where I was. And he's not sure whether the audio is good, whether the visual is good, but I know I need to do my part. I have to trust that everybody else is doing their part. So I go and I talk to him and he almost stops to have a conversation with me until the camera comes. 
I'm trying to remember everything because we had gone through what I need to say. I need to ask him several questions. So I just needed to be sure that I get all that in there because there's no take two for this. So by the time we get to the gate, he was now taking off. He didn't want to be covered. He didn't want to be seen. But I need to say what I need to say on camera. And then the slow motion stopped and people now are walking at their normal pace. And I remember that I could taste the adrenaline in my mouth because this is the first time I've done something like this. I lost my breath. My head was spinning. I'm like, did you catch that? Was I audible? Did I say what I needed to say? And I was just hoping that we got this because he did take the letter and I did tell him that all the allegations that we have are in that letter and please do get back in touch with me as soon as possible. And there was also a sense of relief and satisfaction that finally it had paid off. I find it, especially for Jerry, who'd never done this before, it's really gut-wrenching in a sense, because we have this overwhelming evidence against what Fred had done. We're absolutely sure he's guilty of the things that we're going to broadcast. But he thinks he's been getting away with this crime. So, like, personally for him, this moment is going to be very stressful. Like, his whole world is going to fall apart. And as human to human level, that is something it's really hard to deal with. There is this tension and stress that happens with doorsteps. Finally, they had everything they needed. Shocking examples of the scale and horror of the issue. It was time to start the edit. We started last week of July and finished early November. We edited it remotely as well, which was a learning experience for all of us. To begin with, it was really slow because of that process. But once we got the hang of it, it moved on swiftly. Finally, the film went out. And Jerry remembers how she was feeling. I was a bit nervous about the story. I can't explain why I was nervous. I just was. So when finally I mustered up the courage to watch it, I was in my bedroom with my children. I told them there's something very important that you need to see. Now, my children are now 13, 10, and 9. So they came and we watched it together. And seeing it all pieced together, there's a lot of things that, like what the undercover agents had gotten, I didn't know. So seeing it together like that, my children asked so many questions. And it's also about the things that I've told them, don't talk to strangers, don't go away with people you don't know. They asked me about that child that I could have rescued. I told them I lost that baby. We were not able to retrieve that child, so we don't know where that child is. My daughter said, but I'm sure they'll get that child. And I said, I don't know. I said, no, they have to get that child. Her face is right there. We have to get that child. My daughter, who's 10, said, because that child's face is there, that baby should be able to be found because they haven't changed. That's also what speaks to my hope that that child can be found. But Pete wasn't satisfied just yet. He wanted to make sure the film was seen by everyone who had the power to do something about what they'd found. When it was out in the world, rather than watch it, I was now really wondering about the impact, making sure the right people watch it. A day or two before the film came out, and when the film came out, I spent so much time working on outreach. Because the investigation took quite a bit of time, even just the research, we ended up knowing the really important people who are concerned in the sector. So we had these allies that were built during the process. During the making, especially when you're working in the edit, we started letting them know that there's this film that might come out. But also 
we had a list of people we think if they watch this film, they will make a difference. And when it came out, we made contact sometimes even on social media, on Twitter, and said, please watch this film and distribute it with your networks or act. And the program has had impact. The government arrested Fred and a few officials from the hospital, and the court case is ongoing right now. I think we've broke down the network that is thriving and selling babies. So I think right now, if you try to buy a baby, it's going to be impossible, for now at least. I'm so happy about that. But also, the government set up a task force to look into it, like comprehensively, not just Kenya, also looking at the children's home and how adoption works. So I cannot be happier about the impact and how the government reacted because of this story. We could not save children who have been sold before the film, but after this film came out, it's definitely much harder to traffic a child. As for Njeri, the investigation has stayed with her, and she is determined to keep agitating for change. I saw a problem that I'm trying to see if I can provide a solution for. How can we network police stations to be able to say that they have a missing child? So is it going to be a screen that shoots all these photos with names of children? Do we have a database, a portfolio of missing children? These women in the streets, do they have photos of their children? So can I do a photo project that will go and ensure that every mother in the street, as many as will accept, will come, I take their photos with their children, and in the unfortunate and unlikely event that they do miss their children, maybe they were just split because it was late and their child wandered away, and these children are found because they're taken to the police station and they're taken to orphanages, that they can take the photo that they have that I took or maybe me and a team of people, um, I'm looking for volunteers, and show that this is my son or this is my daughter. And then they can be told, ah, this one we have here, come and you can take your child. Um, help with the reunion of this, especially street families, because of that photo, because it's very important. So it does stay with you and you keep thinking of, what can you do to provide a solution, if only to just the people that you met? That's all for this episode of The Tip-Off. Thanks to Jerry, Pete and Mark for talking me through that astonishing investigation. You can watch BBC Africa Eyes, The Baby Stealers, on YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes. This episode was edited by Alice Milliken, and our theme music is by Dice Muse. Please do like, subscribe, review, all those nice things. And stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.